The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings, made multiple Pro Bowl appearances, over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Your host, uh, Mike Evans, along with me, Mark Schlereth, uh, producer Scott the Huff on the board. Uh, make sure you uh, hydrate your huddle with core pH balanced water. That's our... Uh, presenting sponsor the great folks over at core ultra purified and balanced i was in new york or i've been in new york i'm in new york right now and i went to a walgreens and found myself a couple of core bottles of water last night and uh, i tell you what absolutely delicious perfect for working out it's the one with the big blue cap 7-eleven or any air any other place where water is sold that's core ph balanced water you're going to love this water HydrateWithCore.com is where you find out more about Core Water. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you doing, my man? I am. I'm great, man. Everything is good. Well, you know what's not good? What's that? You know what's not good? I know your love for Tom Brady. I know how oh much you gosh. love Tom Brady. Uh, it's scary. I mean, the fact that you have admitted that if you could, you'd love to be able to just crawl up inside that cleft in his chin and take mm-hmm. a little nap is is right. really disturbing. Absolutely. Be like a little hammock for me. So, a little chin hammock. How freaked out are you that he... There's kryptonite. You know, Superman had kryptonite. Kryptonite. Tom Brady's got Dean Pease. It's it's interesting you say that. So I'm in New York for Fox doing uh, First Things First, the TV show. And so yesterday, I didn't have a game this week. So instead of prepping my game, I was like, well, let me go back and let me look at week 10. Because, you know, when you're doing games, Mike, you don't get to go through every game like I used to go through every single game. So you get a better sense of what's going on in the league, and you're watching highlights and stuff. So I went back, and yesterday, um, on Monday I watched games, and then yesterday in my hotel room in New York City, I watched seven games. All I did was sit there from noon until I went to bed at 10. Just did nothing but watch games. Um, And so anyhow, I'm watching – because I was intrigued how did Tennessee pull this off, this victory off. And I'm watching what Dean Pease did to Tom Brady, and it was amazing. First thing is, when you watch Tom Brady, at the end of the day, what always ends up happening? The running back has like 14 targets, 9 catches, 100 yards or 90 yards, and they're just chain movers, right? In the passing game, the extended run game, as offensive coordinators like to, to call it. So the very first play of the game, man, they fly, they throw one out to the flat, and the Tennessee Titans roll up in like a cover two. The corner comes off from about eight yards. The guy catches it and just gets his lips popped by the corner. I mean, you want to talk about aggressive, just rolling up there and absolutely, I mean, absolutely stymieing somebody as soon as they touch the ball. So there was a tone set. You're not going to get the cheap yards. Like, the Patriots are always sitting at, at second down and four after they flip one out into the flat to the running back. And whether they were in cover two, whether they were in, you know, in some type of cover three where you've got a curl flat defender, those curl flat defenders absolutely punished the running backs in the flat. I mean, Mike punished them. And so 
that was the first thing that was decidedly different about the way Dean Pease uh, coordinates a defense to face Tom Brady. And then constant pressure, like just constantly bringing blitz, constantly pressuring Tom Brady, getting him off his spot. I mean, he was like, you don't usually see Tom Brady rattled, but he was rattled. I mean, dirting balls, just throwing balls away, taking sacks. I mean, they were all over him, and they couldn't consistently beat man-to-man coverage. They couldn't consistently get their receivers wide open. They really miss Gronkowski. They miss his health. They miss him being a matchup guy. But there was constant pressure, changing up defenses, a lot of man-to-man coverage, and basically said, we're going to hit Tom Brady. You know, it reminded me, Mike, of watching the AFC Championship game in Denver all those years ago when Denver went on to win Super Bowl 50, it reminded me of that game where they just continued to pepper Brady on a consistent basis and essentially say, listen, the one thing you're not going to do is you're not going to sit back there and have time and pick us apart. You know, here's my other theory, though, about what, what we saw last week. It's a long season. These guys, they know – how long the year is. They also know they got a soft schedule coming up. And I think sometimes you see this with Brady, that there are there are games where he just, he knows that the team he's playing up against is revved up, that they're right. physical, that they're coming to punch uh-huh. them in the mouth. And I think he just, I'm not saying he, he, he tanks the game, but I think he's ultra careful. It's all about living to fight another day. And I think those are the games that you feel like he feels the rush. And yet, if if it was a playoff game, same exact situation, I think you see him stand in there. I think mm. you see him take some hits to deliver passes. But I think he's – every once in a while, I think he plays a long view game. And that was a long view game where it's like, you know what? It's just not worth it. I'm not going to get hit. And that's why you see the kind of performance that he has. I, I'm, I'm not discounting Pease. And I'm not discounting the effect that, that Pease can have. Right. I just think that that was one of those games. It's a long season – uh, you're on the road. You're playing a team that's fired up. All kinds of former Patriot connections on that other side in Tennessee. I, I just think that you've said this before. Sometimes you know when you're walking into a bit of a buzzsaw. Yeah. You know it. Yeah. And I think they knew that. And I think they also knew that they just weren't going to be able to match the Titans' intensity that day. And I think that they were prepared to kind of let that one go. Yeah. You know, it's probably a good point. I think that historically, you know, you go down to Dean Pease when he was the coordinator with Baltimore and 2012 and they won the Super Bowl and who they beat in the AFC championship game they they beat the Patriots um, and they beat up on Tom Brady in that game as well so they have had their kind of quote-unquote number if you will Dean Pease has mashed up well against Bill Belichick and uh, and Josh McDaniels or whoever the coordinator was at the time that they were going to those Super Bowls or the time they were playing so he's he's had a a good sense of how to defeat Tom Brady um, how to get that done, and, and yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. You know, the thing is that we keep getting is is all the people out there that Tom Brady has one game like that and is, aha, the age, it's finally caught up to Tom Brady, right? And, I mean, how many times have we heard this? We've heard this for years now, and, like, no, no, it hasn't. That was one game you walk into a bus, and I've told you this before, man, I've walked into a couple games where I knew we were getting our ass kicked. I mean, I just I just knew it. it. There's just games you walk in, and I always use this one, and I'll use it again, 
1997, the Denver Broncos won their their first of three world championships. Okay, it was the game Super Bowl 32 against uh, the Green Bay Packers, the Broncos against Green Bay in San Diego, California. Well, earlier that season, we went out to San Francisco to play the 49ers. And the 49ers were retiring Joe Montana's jersey. Jerry Rice had been out with, I think, an ACL or something, and he was making his return in December to the season. You know, I mean, it was every celebrity in Northern California was there. Huey Lewis in the news, I think, sang the national anthem. We walk out like we're getting prepped. You walk that old candlestick, and the first thing you did was step in a puddle. They, they had, like, I mean, it was just, it was always 100% sloppy wet where you came out of the visitor's locker room. Like, I think they just watered it down. <laughs> it was just part of the home field advantage. It was the way it was. So you're standing in slop. We're getting ready to be, you know, we're getting ready to run out for, uh, not for pregame, but we're getting ready to run out, you know, to take the field, right? Introductions and all that kind of stuff. So the offensive lines and the defensive lines are kind of, we're all standing there. And Oliver Stone is standing right beside us. It's like, all of a sudden you walk out and there he is, Oliver Stone standing there, you know, with his little do-it-all dude, right? The guy that, that manages him or whatever. And so he's standing there and I'm looking, we're standing in this just, I mean, it might as well be a big giant puddle of sewage. And, you know, and you were getting ready to, to go out there and there's the whole stadium is filled with smoke. And, you know, they just introduced Joe Montana and Jerry Rice's triumphant return. Like I said, I mean, you can cut the air with a knife. It's so thick. And I turned to a couple guys, and I go, man, I do believe we're going to get our ass kicked tonight. <laughs> and I literally, I mean, you're walking on pregame, and I literally said, I do believe we're getting our ass kicked tonight. I mean, you could just sense it, you know? I, I think you're right, man. I think that was one of those games where you just sense that you're going to be in for an all-day sucker, and um, and Brady was like, I'm not going to take the beating. Right. Like, like you said, I've got the long view. And, and the other thing, too, is that how much of the – well, they're missing Gronkowski it is real because the record suggests that it's not that big of a deal. He's something like, and I might be a game or two off, but he's something like 22-6 and six without Rob Gronkowski. They won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago yeah. without Rob Gronkowski. So how legitimate is that? Well, I think it's, I think it's legitimate in this, Mike. When you, when you have Rob Gronkowski – there's always it doesn't matter where you line them up on the field it's a mismatch if it's if it's one on one with a linebacker if it's one on one with a safety if it's one on one with a corner there's a mismatch there with Rob Gronkowski and so there is a security blanket that goes on there with Rob Gronkowski that when he is gone Brady doesn't have it doesn't mean that Brady isn't good enough to overcome it cuz he is but it is one of those situations where do you want to overcome it and take the beating while you're overcoming it? And you know what? And I think you're 100% right. I don't feel like he wanted to take the beating. It's funny. I, I called the Chargers game last weekend, and I talked to Phillip Rivers about this. The transition from being a middle-of-the-field matchup my tight end against whoever I want to match him up against and be able to win that matchup and convert on third downs, you know, the big thing was we're not doing very well on third downs. And I said, is it because, like, because you, you've changed philosophical approaches on third down? And Philip said, yeah, it's very hard to move when you've always counted on this being there, and all of a sudden 
we're no longer that. Like, yeah, Antonio Gates came back, but he's not the matchup guy he was three or four years ago. So this has been a transition. But right now, there's there's a real transition from being a outside-the-numbers dominant football team you know, to to what they're trying to be now, to where it used to be inside the numbers on third down and in special situations. I know I can get my guy matched up. And for Tom Brady, I know 100% of the time, wherever I line him up, it's a mismatch. And so that's my first look. And, you know, and I think that's I think that part is real, Mike. You know, when you, you watch football every single week, you prepare for the game you're calling, you then take a look at, you know, half a dozen – other games that are that are played that weekend, so you got a, a great ta- a great sense of what's going on, and, and how much is it apparent to you? Because I, I see it that everything that we're seeing offensively, how much is it a direct reaction to what do we have or not have up front on the offensive line? Right. Yeah, I think you know it's it's interesting. So you know you're looking at the best teams in football. And when you start, you know, everybody goes, well, who's the best? Like, give me your power rankings. Get, you know, everybody wants a power ranking, right? And you're like, okay, the best teams, you know, are New Orleans is number one, right? And then it's, you know, either the the Rams or it's the, you know, it's the uh, it, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, one or two, you could go either way. Then after that, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the Chargers, you know. I, I mean, and so everybody's kind of. You're putting all these things out there. Chicago's pretty good, right? Well, I started looking at it, and I'm watching New Orleans just dismantle the Bengals. Just absolutely dismantle the Bengals. And there is nothing they did that didn't work. They ran the ball with great efficiency, with great power. They ran it to the middle. They ran it to the edges. They pass protected. They spread the ball around with Drew Brees. I mean, there was nothing they couldn't do. And if you haven't watched Tyson Hill, the the backup quarterback who plays, he lined up, Mike, he lined up, I'm not kidding you, at wide receiver, at quarterback, at tight end, both both in line and split, at running back, carried the ball, threw the ball. I mean, it, he, he returns kickoffs. He's a kick returner. Um, he is, he is, he is Tim Tebow. Without the hype, but a much better football player and a better athlete. That's what he is. Oh, like, you're gonna get people mad. Oh, dude, he is so much better. He's so much. He's Tim Tebow with talent. He is so much better than. T- it's not even funny. But he doesn't work as hard as Tim Tebow. Because remember, <laughs> nobody works harder right. than Tim Tebow. This dude is great. You know, it's it's funny, Mike, because you watch Drew Brees, all right, the all-time leader in yardage, right? all-time passing leader in the National Football League, all-time completion percentage guy in the National Football League, and they split him wide to run Wildcat with Hill. And you know what? Breeze loves it. He loves it. He'll throw a, a little pop pass in the end zone, and, and, and um, oh, ben, Benjamin Watson dropped it. Would have been a touchdown. You think Drew Breeze is pissed because he didn't get to throw a touchdown? He loves it. He lo- juxtapo- juxtapose that with the Baltimore Ravens. Every time Joe Flacco is asked to split outside the numbers and give Lamar Jackson an, uh, an opportunity, he hates every freaking second of it. You could see it in his body language. But getting back on on the point that I wanted to make is I'm watching I'm watching these teams 
And you know what's the common denominator? Yeah, they have good quarterbacks. I get that. Mike, they dominate the line of scrimmage. The New Orleans Saints, I think, have the best offensive line in football. And they just dominate. And they dictate in situations when they have to dictate. Hey, when you know it's a throw, guess what? They're going to hold up. When you know you have to get two yards in the running game, they're going to be able to hold up. And then you look at the Rams. It's the, the Rams is the same thing. Man, I mean, they went out and got Whitworth. He's been absolutely unbelievable. The left tackle position, they went out and got Sullivan to play center for them. Guy that has been in the league for a while. He was with not only Minnesota, but the Washington Redskins. They solidified their group up front. Scaffold's playing, er, Saffold, excuse me, is playing great football at the guard position. I mean, they completely solidified themselves up front. And then you look at Kansas City. Fisher's playing great at one edge. And Mitchell Schwartz, may the Schwartz be with you, is awesome on the other side. I mean, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that the three best teams in all of football happen to have the three probably best offensive lines in all of football. You love talking about the big hogs up front, don't you? But it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, here in Denver, you know, we've been watching the, the Broncos struggle all season long, and the, the hope mm-hmm. there was that Case Keenum would be able to uh, copy what he did in Minnesota last year. But I, I see a quarterback where every time he drops back to pass is thinking about where the rush is coming from every single time. Right. And so, you know, if you if unless you have an elite, elite quarterback who can make an average offensive line look better than it really is, then you better have the guys up front. And in a league in which it's becoming harder and harder to evaluate these guys coming out of college and harder and harder to develop them in the pros because of all the practice restrictions. Boy, you you are fortunate you are one of the lucky ones if you got an above average offensive line mike i had a i had a, a i don't know if it was a gm that i was talking to last week or a coach but it was one either a gm or a coach who told me he goes i think what we're gonna see here because it's so hard to evaluate and get these guys to play well um that said i think the highest after your head coach the highest paid guy on your coaching roster should be your offensive line coach. He goes, more than the coordinators. Because that job, you've got to get five guys playing together as one. It's so difficult, and it's so hard to find guys that can play at the next level and get them prepped to play at the next level that it's the hardest job in football. And there's so much nuance involved, and there's so much that goes in to coaching those guys up and getting them to play at that level that that should be the guy that makes more money than anybody else on your coaching roster. Mm. Can't Head argue. coach, then O-line coach. Can't argue with that. Cannot argue with that. Hey, you ready to uh, get to uh, moneymaker picks for the week? You know, I'm always ready to whip your ass in the money maker oh, picks, Listen to you. You know, brother. folks, you think that Mark is, like, way ahead of me based on his uh, – braggart ways um here are the um up-to-the-date standings after we both went two and one last week again uh, hey by the way by the way i do have to do i do have to do this we're going to do a question mark as well yeah because i want to get that done also because there's a couple of good questions here but um i definitely want to say that uh, the moneymaker picks brought to you by bud light 
Okay, our friends at Bud Light, because Sundays are made for watching football, enjoying a cold beer. Make sure you check out one of the Bud Light team cans because they are absolutely awesome. So go ahead, continue to tell um, everybody how I've been whipping your ass in uh, moneymaker. Man, I wish I had a cold Bud Light right now as I remind you that you are a scant half game ahead of me. Um, <laughs> you are 19-11-1 for the season, and I am 19-12. and 12. So once again, the – Mocked tie continues to be your salvation mm-hmm. as uh, mm-hmm. you are a half game ahead of me. So uh, let's get to the picks. I, I believe I get to go first this time. Is that right. true? Um, sure. I think it is. I think it is. So uh, here's what I'm going to start with. Uh, Minnesota at Chicago. The Bears are a one-point favorite, and th- there is something special going on in Chicago. They haven't had a game like this in a long time. The game was, what, flexed to right. Sunday night? So uh, I like Chicago at home. Uh, I'm not as much of a Kirk Cousins fan as you are. Uh, I think he might struggle in that vi- environment. So give me Chicago plus one over Mini. Okay. Then give me uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's at Jacksonville, correct? They are at Jacksonville. Uh, Pittsburgh is a five-point favorite on the road at Jacksonville, and I'm going to ride with the Steelers, who I think are are starting to peak. Uh, they have the Le'Veon Bell distraction has been removed, and Jacksonville's a red-hot mess right now, coupled with the revenge factor after what happened in the playoffs last year. Give me Pittsburgh to further Jacksonville's misery, minus five, and I need, uh, I need one more here, don't I? I need one more. Um, while I was impressed by what... Uh, Tennessee did last week against New England. Um, mm-hmm. I think they'll. It'll be a different story on the road at Indy, where Indy is playing fantastic football right now. Andrew Luck is back. He's getting protected like he's never been protected in his career. Plus, he owns Tennessee. I believe eight and zero against the uh, Titans. I think that continues, and it's a pick'em game at home for Indy. All they need to do is win. So give me Indy even over Tennessee. Gosh, see. I love the Pittsburgh pick. I was going to go in that direction, but you got to pick first. Why didn't I get to pick first? Was it my turn to pick first, no? No, you went first last week. Are you sure? I'm positive. Damn it. Actually, I'm not, but I'm kind of kind of kind of think think that's the case, so. You kind of think that that's I kind of think that's the go. case, yeah. Okay. And I like the indie pick too, even. Man. You really bother me. <laughs> You really, really bother me. All right, so well now I gotta, you know, I gotta go to town here, right? I gotta go to town. I gotta figure this whole thing. Hey, out. the good news is there's not another New England game this week for you to bet on and lose. Oh, is that right? Is that right, Mike Evans? <laughs> is that the good news? You've been riding the Patriots a lot this year, and I'm about five hundred on Patriots success, picks, yeah, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So it's not even. Um, it's it's really not necessarily a uh, a good thing. All right, so let's get it started. Um, Dallas traveling to the Atlanta Falcons. Listen, everybody loves Dallas, and I get it. You know they're they're you know they won a big game against uh, the Eagles, and now they got it all figured out, right? They got it. All, I'm going to say no, they don't have it all figured out. Uh, I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons. They're minus three at home. I'm taking the Falcons, saying they are going to cover that against the Dallas Cowboys. Like Dallas is too up and down for yep, me. Yeah, I like that pick. Good pick. Yeah, they're just too up and down for me. All right, here's another one because this one is kind of a – this is just a, a probably a really bad game. How do you put up 500 yards of offense and lose? That's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and really, honestly – 
if you were Dirk Cutter, like you took you like came out and said, "Yeah, I took control of the play calling again," and and we put up 500 yards. Yeah, and you still lost, and you turned the ball over 500 times or five times. Like you you lost last week. Anyhow, um, that said, I'm going to take Tampa Bay over the Giants. It's an even pick. It's a pick 'em, and I know people saw the Giants and what they were able to do, and all of a sudden said, "Oh, Eli Manning's back." Did you see, they protected him. I'm going to say that's not going to happen again. Um, JJ JPP, I think returns. To the Giants from uh, from to returns to makes his triumphant return against the Giants as he plays for Tampa Bay now. I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mm. in the even pick them. How about that? All right, all right. And then um, ultimately, hold on, my app closed, so I got to look at. Oh gosh, oh my. Oh, okay, all right, I'm back. Um, Houston taking on Washington. Both teams six and three right now. We saw Houston. And, and we saw what they did a couple weeks ago here in Denver, beating the Denver Broncos. I think this Washington team, although they're not as dynamic, I think they're better defensively than people give them credit for. Um, I'm going to go with Washington um, getting three points. Houston minus three in Washington. I'm going to get Washington getting the three points over Houston. That, all right. I, I can't argue with those. Very quickly, uh, Kansas City and the Rams. Kind of a fascinating game now that uh, they they moved it from Mexico City. They're mm-hmm. back to L.A. Mm-hmm. But the Rams, who had been preparing to play at altitude, have been actually training here in Colorado down near the Air Force Academy. And they're going to stay here and then travel back right. home to play a home game. Meanwhile, Kansas City, they were able to quickly just adjust to back into to road preparation um, you know, planning. So, how do you think that impacts Kansas City and the Rams? Well, you know, I I don't know. First off, honestly, nobody wants to go to uh, Mexico City to play a game. So, I think everybody's relieved. Um, you know, there's no the home field and all that all that stuff. I, I mean, Kansas City didn't want to go there anyhow. So, I, I think that part, it takes you out of your routine, Mike. And it's hard to be out of your routine. Um you know, really interesting watching Kansas City. It's so funny because we always talk about, you know, the run-pass balance and, and, and kind of the specials, right? Special plays that you put together, the things that are schemed that you want to do that, um, you know, are opening up things later on in, in, in a game. And usually it's like, hey, we're going to set up the we're going to set up the run to run this certain play action and we know we're going to get this defense when we get into this formation and if we run it enough you know we're gonna, we know we're going to get the safety to bite and we're going to get something over the top yeah that's how offense is usually set up you watch kansas city they run specials right off the bat they're like running jet sweeps and a fake screen over here to run a bubble screen over there and and you know tyree kill is the guy they're using all this motion and all this eye candy and all these things to do and then they do that so that they can get into their regular offense. You know what I mean? So they set you up with eye candy first just to bludgeon you later. And and these two teams are built the same way because I think that's what I think that's what the Rams do on offense. You know, when I talked to Sean McVay about them, they they talked about they talked about, you know, all the motions and the jet sweeps and all the different things we do formationally. It really is the illusion they called it the illusion of complexity. We want you to look like it looks really busy, but it really isn't. It's really just making your eyes be undisciplined, making you play on your heels so that we can run Todd Gurley down your throat. So they they 
they're very similar in the way they're constructed um, from from what they do offensively and the way they set their offense up. Both teams, both teams, outstanding. I, I I put it on you. Who do you pick? Who do you take? You know, there, there's been the Rams have looked a little. They've been winning, but it, there's been some close calls. Green Bay, Seattle, mm-hmm. um, the Chiefs. Yeah, you know they had the Chiefs had a game last week in which it was just you know a name your score game against Arizona, and you know they were they were clearly not as. Uh, focus, but they still, you know, turn it on when they had to, and that's right. knowing that they had this this game with the Rams coming up, and thought they would be going to Mexico City. I like KC. Do you? I do. You know, I I was thinking about going in that direction. I, I you know, offensively, when you look at uh, at at KC or offensively, when you look at KC, there are some matchup issues that. Uh, that the Rams are going to have. Their corners are not playing great. Aqib Tlaib is hurt, um, you know, and he's been out. Uh, Marcus Peters has not played very well, and he's always been a guy that's been a real gambler, but now people have been able to take advantage of him. He was hurt early in the season. I think it's still affecting him to some degree. Um, So, you know, I think from a confidence standpoint, it's different. Here's the one thing I'll tell you um, about about Kansas City. I've – I've done, as you know, a bunch of Arizona games. Arizona is absolutely awful up front, just awful. And they ran the ball well against Kansas City. Yeah, I, and, and I just feel like the way to beat Kansas City is, one, keep Mahomes, keep Tyreek Hill, keep, uh, keep Kelsey on the sideline, don't let him touch the ball, and I think – KC's defense is very suspect at best, especially defending the run. And I've seen a bunch of people who have been able to run the ball at will, but what happens is they get behind, they give up big plays early, and it takes them out of dominating the line of scrimmage and dominating the game. And and therefore, they try to get in a shooting match with Kansas City, you're going to lose. They just have too many weapons. So I think the Rams have are the one team that can really dominate time of possession. Um, I like the Rams in this game. I like their pass rush, and um, and I like the fact that they're going to control the tempo and control line of scrimmage, and Todd Gurley should have a big day. So I'm going to take the Rams. All right, so we disagree on the game of the week. We shall see what happens. Uh, time now for a little segment we'd like to call Question Mark. Yeah, and this one comes from uh, Dominic Schneider. And, uh, Dominic, I'm going to send you uh, – a clip and catch. If you haven't seen it, I'll, you know it's a, a cool little thing that a buddy of mine created. And uh, landscaping buddy of mine, we're always trading ideas. So I'm just trying to help him out. Um, and it, there's nothing in it for me. There's just uh, a lot in it for you. So a little clip and catch for your uh, gardening and your uh, and your landscaping expertise. So Dominic says this: As a Raiders fan, how worried should I be about the future? I think that's a fair question, right? I mean, first off, Mike, you I got to give you a lot of credit because you said this, you said this at the beginning of the year when they hired John Gruden. This is either going to be an abject disaster or an abject success, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um boomer bust. Yeah, it's boomer bust. And at at this point, it certainly looks like a huge bust, but I would tell you this. Um I think it's I think it's eventually going to pay dividends. I do too. I think it is. I, do you? I, I yeah, I do because hey, look, the last thing I want to be in this league is seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. I don't want to be in that football purgatory. 
So if if I can't be really good, I want to be really bad. And I want to give myself as much capital to try to turn this thing around quickly. Oh, by the way, coinciding with my move to Vegas. So if if the idea is that you're, you're still going to be able to build around Derek Carr, and we know what Derek Carr is capable of, and now you've got oodles of salary cap space and four first-round draft picks coming up in the next couple of years, yeah, I, I think there's every reason to think that you could turn this around. Sure. You know, here's, here's, the, here's the interesting thing for me. I think you have to understand – like the way they're built right now. So they got rid of Khalil Mack. They got rid of Amari Cooper. You know, they got a lot of draft capital. Uh, they've got a lot of draft capital stocked up. They've got 11 picks next year. They've got three in the first round. And I believe they're committed to Derek Carr. They don't need to chase a quarterback. So there's, you know how the draft works, Mike. There's some idiot that's going to trace, that, that's going to chase uh, a quarterback. And because they don't need one, if they are the number one overall pick, they are going to be able to trade and even even accumulate more draft capital. So they are cash-strapped, and I was calling a game there last weekend. That stadium has not changed since I played games there in the late 90s and, and early aughts. It's a literal shithole. It, it is, Mike, it is awful. <laughs> I mean, it's awful. And like, there's no, there's no ability to generate revenue, and so they're they're strapped for cash. So they're basically saying, "Hey guys, you know what? Get rid of. Hey, we're not going to be able to afford Khalil Mack, or if we pay Khalil Mack, then we can't pay anybody else, and we're we're not close enough to winning games. We're not one defensive pass rushing type of guy away from winning games. So let's get rid of them all. Let's rebuild the entirety of our roster. They're going to turn their roster over sixty percent right now. When you look at them." They, the way they're constructed, they've got this juxtaposition of really young kids who aren't quite ready to play yet, but they have to play them. They started five five rookies on defense against the Chargers last week. And really old guys that are on minimum wage deals who have no juice left. So the young kids are making mistakes because they don't know where to be. The old guys know where to be, but they're a step and a half late because they got no juice left in their legs. That's the Raiders right now. And as bad as it feels and as bad as it looks right now, and as many people want to get on John Gruden and, and, oh, the organization, and John Gruden's lost touch and the players are revolting, and so, I didn't see that at all. I was inside that facility. I didn't see that at all. Um, Derek Carr and, and John Gruden are lockstep in, in what's going on. Yeah, it's hard to lose. Yeah, you know what? It stinks. But the bottom line is I think they're going about it the right way, Mike. They're going to have – so many picks. They've got five first-rounders in the next two years, and they're going to parlay that into even more uh, more picks and maybe more first-rounders. All right. So bright future for Raider Nation. Unfortunately, it'll be happening in Vegas. Yeah, well, you know what? That's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. So Vegas, uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of uh, Oakland's labor when uh, – you know, everything just kind of falls apart. How about that? I like it. All right. I like it. Hey, man, for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth Podcast, we thank you for listening. I cannot wait to even open up my lead more on Mike and the Moneymaker Picks. Um, but we'll be back with you next week.